Failing companies which owe tens of thousands of dollars in bills, wages, or fines are shutting up shop to avoid paying up, only to reappear a short time later as almost identical businesses. The practice is known as phoenixing, and it's illegal if the new company is judged to be too similar to its predecessor. This Radio New Zealand Insight program looks at how the abuse of company law is becoming more popular, leaving vulnerable workers out of pocket and suppliers unpaid. In a consultation room on Auckland's Queen Street, an employment advocate, Maimon Kerr, hears about the poor treatment four of her clients have suffered by an employer. She translates their words. The impact was huge. Even until nowadays, I'm still you know, affected by this. The men, originally from China, are now residents and worked for a furniture company in 2013. After being fired for asking for what they were entitled to, written contracts, holiday and sick pay, they started to take their cases to the Employment Relations Authority. Two of them were heard and won. They were each awarded between eight and $15,000 plus costs. But before they could be paid and before the other two men could bring their cases, they were told the furniture company had sold its equipment to another business and gone into liquidation. We had no access to all the information, simply just a liquidator's report. Then we checked online, then we found it seems like the company under the same trading name seems like we're still trading under the contact details you know the informations the company's profiles seems everything you know was remained the same so that really gave us the suspicion you know was this liquidation genuine was behind this liquidation what triggered the liquidation the liquidation status effectively stopped us effectively the employer went away with all their responsibilities, we had nobody to hold responsible for the claims. And we have concerns that loopholes between the Company Act and the Employment Act had been deliberately exploited. The four men say their ordeal isn't over. Their previous employer has now contacted their new bosses, bad-mouthing them and trying to get them fired again. They don't want to be identified but are speaking out because they're worried other workers could lose out in a similar way. They believe the company ran away from its debts. We don't know whether we, we can trust the legal system again or not. The more important issue is uh, every couple of years they'll run into liquidation. When other business you know, people learned about you can't escape your responsibilities through such uh, legal means, then they'll copy and learn and try to do the same. The men want action from the government. Mm-hmm. We really want the government to, to check on these fraudulent liquidations or whether they are fraudulent or not, then find out and, uh, and take some actions. Give the society a justice. We, we need an answer from the government. According to Maimon Kerr, the furniture business became a phoenix company. She says such behaviour is becoming more and more common and is such a problem she has to assess whether it's worth even pursuing a case.
This is a growing trend, let me say. And now, when before I take on a case, I often have to ask my clients, is the company still trading? What's the size of the business? Because that has become a factor we must consider before commencing the legal actions. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think that's a fear. I'm Lauren Baker, and this week's Insight looks at Phoenix companies, how the law is used and abused, and what can be done to prevent businesses going under to avoid bills, only to reappear virtually unchanged, but crucially debt-free. Experts say Phoenix companies are most commonly found in the construction sector. The process of killing off a company that may well rise again from the ashes is in itself a legal business move. A failing business may sell its assets to a new company, getting the best price for creditors. But problems arise when the outfit has the same or similar directors and the same or a similar name. So, for example, an old company might be called Baker Builders Industrial Limited, but if the new version goes by a very similar name, like Baker Builders 2015 Limited, or Baker Builders International Limited, it could trade on the goodwill of the previous business. And it's not just companies and employees who can lose out. So here we've come around the back and you can see some weatherboards, some cedar weatherboards that uh, are reasonably new above the, 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 the existing window line of downstairs. So we were living in a home where we had wind, rain coming in. Um, We lost all our ceilings downstairs. This man, who doesn't want to be named, was also caught out. He wanted another story added to his bungalow home to cater for his growing family and in 2012 enlisted a nearby builder. But when he noticed poor quality craftsmanship and materials, he asked that the work be redone. It escalated into a legal battle while work on the house stagnated. We still had a project that was not watertight. The job was unfinished. We still had to resolve shoddy workmanship. We couldn't get sign-off from council, so effectively we had a home that was worth nothing. He chased it through to district court level and legal decisions went in his favour. The builder was declared negligent and ordered to pay up, but the company abruptly went under. The man is listed in liquidators' reports as being owed just shy of $60,000, but events took a turn when he noticed the builder had set up another virtually identical company. I'd also followed up through the company's office that he had registered another building company and the name was so similar it was just unbelievable. So I recognised that as being possibly a Phoenix company. Everything gets just quietly slid across to the new company. They also maintain their customer base. Um, So I looked into that and uh, I notified the National Enforcement Unit, which is under the company's office. They came back after a short period of time and said, yes, we are interested in this. This is a, a very good example of a Phoenix company. The building company director was found guilty and the man then managed to make an out-of-court settlement to get at least some of his money back. Three years on, his house is now nearly finished. But he's a victim of one of the very few people to be prosecuted and convicted under Phoenix laws. 
The company's office says that since the beginning of 2012, there have been eight prosecutions. Of those, five people were convicted, receiving sentences including a $5,000 fine, community service work and a home detention, while others were convicted and discharged. The company's act allows a $200,000 fine and five years in prison. So does the number of prosecutions reflect the scale of the problem? Trish Keeper is a senior lecturer at the School of Accounting and Commercial Law at Victoria University in Wellington and has written papers on Phoenix companies in New Zealand. She says although there's been some research about the issue in Australia, the true depth of the problem here in New Zealand remains a mystery. Anecdotally, it's known to be, especially in the construction area, um, subcontractors and building firms, um, you know, could almost set up a new company every year. Uh, and that may not be with the intention to defeat creditors, but it does mean that if, if for example, the company's being sued for, for example, legal building or something in the, in, in the future, then you can't sue the current company because it's a debt of the old company. Is there any way we can put any kind of figure or guess as to how much money is being lost? I know in Australia, a 2009 report on taxation said there was, they thought there were 6,000 6, Phoenix companies in Australia and they talk about something like 900 million in unpaid tax or something. It gives you an idea that they're also concerned about it. And so what does it mean for employees? Are they even definitely going to get paid? Definitely not. Um, in New Zealand, if there's only sufficient funds after paying the secured creditors and the liquidators' fees... Um, if there isn't enough assets, just as a general rule, you know, often your employees won't get paid. I think New Zealand doesn't look after our employees and in the insolvency of a corporate uh, employer. Uh, it's something I feel uh, you know I've written about. Um, and comparative to other countries where employees can be what's given a super priority, uh, the idea that they get paid first even before your secure creditors. Or in Australia, they have a scheme where there's sort of a government fund and that pays out the employees' unpaid wages uh, to a certain amount, and then that fund sort of stands in the shoes of the employees and gets paid. So at least they get the money straight away then too. According to Section 386 of the Companies Act, a director of a failed company mustn't be the director of a Phoenix company with a similar name within five years of the demise of the old business. These Phoenix clauses were updated in 2007, but Trish Keeper says there are still ways directors can get round them and out of paying debts owed by the failed company. Say you have a failed company, an old company, and the director gets involved with a new company with a dissimilar name, well, you're not going to breach the section. If you have got involved in a Phoenix company, out of, which has arisen out of a failed company, and that Phoenix company itself fails, which can often be the case, then the directors can be liable personally for the debts of the new company, not the old company. Rather than the human cost, the Minister of Commerce and Consumer Affairs, Paul Goldsmith, says the priority of the legislation is to prevent people being misled and putting their trust and capital into a business that's on shaky ground. Based on the number of prosecutions, he thinks the problem is fairly minor. I haven't looked at the details of uh, you know, the number of cases brought forward, but I, I think it's a, it's a relatively confined area of, of law. Uh, I mean, I haven't had any advice to, to, su to suggest that there is large numbers of uh, large areas of rule-breaking going on and they haven't got the ability to enforce it or anything like that. There's, there's no suggestion of that. I've spoken to 
many, many uh, industry groups, forestry, construction, hospitality. Obviously, within those, there are many more smaller sector groups. Almost every single one has said, yep, this happens fairly frequently and people lose out. So that would suggest that perhaps uh, there could be more than five prosecutions in a year. Uh, possibly, or, or it may reflect that people's understanding of, of a Phoenix company structure is broader than the reality in terms of the law. What we're dealing with in, in the law in relation to Phoenix companies is quite a confined uh, little area of law. I think my, my hunch is it's uh, more a concern with uh, broader problems of companies going into liquidation and not being able to pay their bills. And Paul Goldsmith is playing down worries the legislation has too many loopholes. It depends how you define loopholes. I mean, like any complex area of law in commerce or tax or anything like that, um, yes, there are armies of people out there who find ways around the law, and that's, uh, <laughs> that's uh, not unusual. But what you do in legislation is create a law as robustly as possible, and you do need to keep on maintaining it and amending it if practices get out of whack. And so, you know, that's what we're looking at. We're continually looking at uh, trying to maintain that. You're looking at maintenance of the Phoenix Law? Yep, we're just making sure that it's still fit for purpose. The advice I've had is that it, it does. I'm just testing that at the moment. On Auckland's Queen Street, a few buildings down from employment advocate Maimon Kerr is someone who's becoming more and more aware of phoenixing. David Mill manages the Regional Labour Inspectorate for the Ministry of Business, Innovation and Employment, and he says the problem is growing. We're starting to see the rise of, of phoenix companies as a phenomenon. Uh, we've found that it's a means for employers to avoid paying entitlements, especially where you have large numbers of employees who are owed arrears. The employer will then seek to put a company into liquidation. It's just in our experience recently with some liquidators and some of the key cases we've taken, we've found that their behaviour almost bordering obstruction. When it comes to actually taking further actions in the liquidation space, our ability to hold employees to account is extremely limited, virtually nil. If, in effect, the worker becomes an unsecured creditor and just a preferential claimant in terms of the hierarchy of, of claims. David Milne says labour inspectors operate within the civil jurisdiction and have the power to take action through the Employment Relations Authority and impose fines. He says there aren't more prosecutions because the problem has been under the radar until recently, but even when investigations start, they often stall when liquidators get involved. In terms of holding directors accountable, there is a section in the Employment Relations Act which allows a labour inspector who has a live action in the authority to turn around and seek leave to hold those directors accountable. Um, the key thing for us is to pr prove that the director authorised the default of non-payment of wages and holiday pay. Um, Unfortunately, we still need the permission of a liquidator before we can actually do that. And based on past record, nine times out of ten, we won't get the permission of the liquidator. That means that we're unable to proceed further with trying to hold an action against that particular company. So once it goes into the liquidation space, it becomes extremely challenging for the Labour Inspectorate. He says he expects the abuse of the Phoenix law to become an increasing problem. I would imagine that the Phoenix issue, left unchecked, will, will become more of a challenging issue for us going forward, especially when we're investigating companies and we want to hold a director to account and we're poised to do so, and then that director will put the company into liquidation and then we become very limited in what we can do. 
Well, once a company goes in liquidation, we often end up with a whole pile of random assets. Uh, so here we've got uh, a forklift. Um, we've got a, um, a truck which was used for moving frozen fish. And what have we got over there? Some furniture? Uh, that was from an old whorehouse, actually. Really? <laughs> that we've um, that we've still got. Um, uh, we're, we're unable to sell it. We should really we should really burn it, but we haven't. Damien Grant is a liquidator at Auckland-based Waterstone Insolvency. For the people doing the Phoenix thing, it's generally a very positive thing. They get to keep their company, they keep to keep their revenue stream, and they get to dispense with unfortunate problems like the Inland Revenue Department. We do and we see some of these, and it's disturbingly easy to get involved in something like this. For the people who are doing it, it's a really good system, and there isn't a lot of remedies involved to protect the creditors in that situation. At the moment, experts say that almost any adult can act as a liquidator, and industry standards are so loose, even family members of the failing director can be given the job. In an effort to tighten up the sector, the Insolvency Practitioners Bill was introduced to Parliament back in 2010, suggesting a new form of compulsory public register for insolvers. But despite a second reading two years ago, it's fallen by the wayside and has never progressed. Now, the Restructuring Insolvency and Turnaround Association of New Zealand is suggesting self-regulation, drawing up its own rules because it says the bill in Parliament is still too soft. The consultation document recommends licensed applicants have at least a 1,000 hours of practical experience on regulated insolvency engagements in the previous three years and that they're deemed a fit and proper person. But Damien Grant is dismissing regulation, saying it won't stop friendly liquidators acting on the best interests of the failed director. The assumption that once you regulate us, we're going to stop being friendly is a complete and utter nonsense. Regulation will do nothing other than restrict the number of people who can become liquidators and will allow those of us fortunate to be liquidators to be able to charge more. Um, uh, the problem of being a friendly liquidator has nothing to do with registration. Registration is not going to solve that problem. So what is? Is there a solution? The only solution to a Phoenix company is for creditors to be aware that, that that it is a risk and for the creditors to protect themselves by getting personal guarantees or other forms of security. Unsecured creditors are always going to lose out in the Phoenix Company situation and without dramatically upending the way that we run our limited liability company system, then no, I don't I think the cost of removing Phoenixing would have a raft of unintended consequences that will put a chill on the wider market. So what else can be done to prevent companies using phoenixing as a means of escape? The construction industry itself has a few ideas. An industry body, Civil Contractors New Zealand, has 600 contractor businesses under its wing. The topic of Phoenix companies came up at the group's inaugural conference in Topol this month, and the group's executive officer, Malcolm Abernethy, says escaping payments has a domino effect on the whole industry. It seriously affects the contractor's cash flow. The margins at the present time are relatively low, 
and uh, it's not until that last payment is made that a contractor would see any profit if there is a small profit margin. Um, he won't see that until that last payment and so it has a serious effect on the cash flow of the business but it, it affects the ability of the contracting company to invest in plant uh, those are the machines and also the uh, capability of their workers in terms of training and so forth. They just can't invest. He says the most effective method of outsmarting potential phoenixing is to look at the background of company directors before getting involved. If you look and search through company office records, you can find that same person, that same director, um, over about three or four different pages within the company office records of former companies that have been dissolved or wound up for whatever reason um, over a long period of time and that's where we are saying to our members to do due diligence on whoever they work for and make sure they know who they work for and make sure that they're good for the money that they're signing up for a particular project. Is that all the protection people have, just being aware? Uh, there are other legal avenues um, or contractual avenues, however, they are seldom used and one of those things is a principal's bond where the principal has to supply a bond to say that he, is, he or she is good for the money and, um, and that the contract is going to be paid for at the end of the job when the contract is complete. Um, most developers will turn around and say, well, you know, if you're insisting on a principal's bond, I'll go and get another contractor to do the job. And so um, what we need to do is make things like a principal's bond um, mandatory, if possible, which means that we're going to have some security over payment. Malcolm Abernethy says dodgy businesses have also been known to use the legal system to put off payments until it's too late. Basically, the smart developers and their smart lawyers can use the court system to delay payment, and the longer they delay payment, it allows them more time to take any funds that that uh, development company holds, and they can squirrel it away to some other entity or some legal entity somewhere else. So um, that becomes the problem, because then it gets to a final payment, and they just simply put their hands up in the air and say, we don't have any money. They're an empty shell. They've left themselves with an empty shell. Correct. Yeah. And then they wind the company up and start again. What should be happening to try and alleviate this? Uh, my view is that if a court finds that one party has to pay the other party, then there should be a requirement that that money is paid before any appeals go to a higher court, a court of appeal, Supreme Court, whatever it may be. That money must be paid over to the winning party. If for some reason it is a little doubtful, then it could well be put into a trust until such time as the dispute is finally settled. Back in Auckland and the Ministry of Business, Innovation and Employment's David Milne says investigating Phoenix companies will improve as labour inspectors collaborate more with other government departments like IRD. He denies resourcing is an issue and says policing Phoenixing effectively won't get better with more legislation. Instead, it's a matter of how that law is enforced. You can make changes to legislation, that's fine. You can increase penalties and sanctions. Really, it goes back to how we do our work, how we uncover it and how we hold people to account. And it comes back to um, our business plans, our practice, 
Um, it's just about working smarter, though. At the end of the day, all government departments have limited resources, but the key thing is how do you apply your limited resources to the areas of the greatest need with the greatest impact? Part of the audit process involves doing open source searching, so getting on the internet, doing some deep open source searching, uh, finding out as much as we can about an employer, and that may also drag up the history of an employer in terms of how many entities they've opened and closed. We'll go to the company's office, we'll do some research there, we'll see if they've been banned as a director, we'll see how many entities they've actually had beforehand, and the pattern will emerge in terms of, of their you know, particular behaviours towards maybe phoenixing. Um, it's even more so telling when you start to actually hold them to account for arrears that you actually found them owing, then they'll close the business. David Milne says they're pushing to get bad directors out of the equation by banning them and stopping them continuing the cycle of exploiting workers and failing businesses. But Dennis Marga from First Union says just chasing bad directors sometimes doesn't work either. He says a person may not be named as the director even though they're the person really in charge. He says family-run businesses will often get a new member of the family to take over, although the general governance will be the same. Even if ever they are no longer in a managerial position or directorship, but if ever you transfer that to another family member, it is still allowed under the law. So I think that is still a gray area because a lot of employers can still circumvent that. And a lot of legitimate employers actually hate it when someone is actually competing in their business and they can get away from it. He says a relatively simple solution might be an expansion of the legal definition of the crime. If the definition of Phoenix loss could be widened, that this is not only um, addressed to a specific company, but also look at the chain and the way they operate, then that would actually help. So we don't have to create another law to address that. I think this is something that the Parliament should look at, how they can widen that scope. At the same time, uh, the target is very clear, that once you liquidated your business, then where is your accountability, especially those directors? And, and that would actually help us to contain the problem in that way, and that would actually more uh, empower the law. But that's not in the pipeline, and the Restructuring, Insolvency and Turnaround Association says any self-regulation, which was due to come into force in January, has been delayed and is now expected by the end of September. The Minister of Commerce and Consumer Affairs, Paul Goldsmith, says he'll only reassess the situation in regard to Phoenix companies after a year of monitoring. The argument from advocates is that with an economy based on limited liability, harmful phoenixing is inevitable. As a liquidator, Damien Grant has a blunt message about the likelihood of it disappearing. You can't remove that without imposing an enormous burden on the rest of the honest company directors. It would be like making the speed limit 45 kilometres an hour because the occasional person speeds. The, the, the cost is too high. Phoenixing is something that is with us and will continue to be with us. If you want to avoid being a victim of it, be more vigilant. I'm Lauren Baker and that's Insight for this week. If you would like to contact us, you can send an email to insight at radionz.co.nz or send us a tweet at rnz underscore insight. I wrote and presented that programme. It was produced by Philip Atolli with technical production by Jeremy Veal.